You're listening to another episode of Lords of Limited with your hosts Ben Worney and Ethan Sachs. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Worney, and joining me on the line is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, how are you liking Dominaria so far? I'm liking it pretty well. I would like it better if I could draft it, but, you know, I'll, I'll take my magic addiction any way I can. Same, same. Got in some sealed events on MTGO this weekend. I did not play any paper pre-releases, but I did do some paper testing for Team Sealed, which we may get to a little later. How about you? How was your weekend? It was good. I jammed a few seals. I jammed three seals on Magic Online, and then I did a paper pre-release with my brothers, which was awesome. So I, one of my brothers drove down to Paoli, and then we met up, drove to Huntingburg, which is like an hour away, and my oldest brother came and met us at the shop, and the three Warney brothers, uh, we did pretty well. We came yeah. in third, fourth, and fifth, respectively. So, And which number were you? I was number three, obviously. I'm the greatest of the Warnies. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> that makes me happy. All right, so we are going to be giving you all our first impressions. We gave you our crash course last week. We're going to let you know all that we know about Dominaria Sealed. Hopefully some of that will translate to draft. And we're going to talk a little bit about team sealed testing. We'll do some roundtable action. But before we get into all that, we got to talk about the Patreon. And holy cow, is a pre-release weekend the time for the Lords of Limited Patreon Discord to pop off? My goodness, this weekend was incredible. So we have a Patreon page, patreon.com slash Lords of Limited, where you as a listener can give back to the show if you so choose. If you want some of the sweet perks we have to offer, if you just want to say thank you with your dollar dollar bills, we really, really appreciate it. That base level donation is going to get you access to that Discord channel. And I got to say, we had a lot of people posting a lot of decks and having a lot of impressions of cards, a lot of movers and shakers. It was great. Pretty overwhelming, in fact, to get all of that feedback in our Discord chat. Uh, you get access to our show notes for some higher tier donations, as well as access to a little pre-show recording that we do. And we also want to thank and shout out new patrons every week. So this week, we want to welcome Zach, David, Kingsley, Adam, Brian K, Dustin, Brian Y, Jason, and Brian H., Thank you all so, so much. Really incredible. Thank you for your support. We really appreciate it. Oh, baby, a triple Brian. A triple Brian. Oh, baby, a triple. Yeah. Had to get those last initials in there. Discord was uh, insane this weekend. It was really cool. I feel like I'm more prepared for the format as a result of having like seen, I've seen like, I don't know, 40, 50 sealed deck lists, it feels like, mm -hmm. at least. So I feel like I have a really good picture of like what the sealed decks are trying to do and which ones have been successful and maybe why they've been successful. Because, you know, you get to see the ones that people post that are 4-0 or people ones that people post that are 2-2 or whatever. So it's really, it's really been helpful to get a handle on the format. Yeah. For sure. So let's let's just dive right in. I mean, we'll give a disclaimer here that all of our impressions that we have are based on sealed, which will almost certainly be slower and less synergistic than draft decks. But we have no way to know because draft is not live until tomorrow on Magic Online. So we haven't done it yet. But with that caveat out of the way, what are some general thoughts on the format you have been? Uh, as far as number of lands, like that's one of the first things people asked when I was streaming uh, on Friday was like, is this a 17 land format? Is it an 18 land format? Where I'm landing is, you know, halfway between. Like, I think sometimes you're going to run 17, sometimes you're going to run 18, but the format definitely feels like there's tons of mana sinks, and I have wanted to always hit land drops, even going so far as to put a helm of the host on my skittering surveyor so that i could continue to hit land drops every turn i had that oh. much stuff to do with my mana oh you're just speaking my dirtle language with that 
Yeah, I'm more in the 18 land camp, at least for sealed. Again, I don't know about draft. The memorial lands alone, so those are the uh, the uncommon cycle of lands that come into play tapped, tap for a certain color, and then have an activated ability uh, of those colors. The All of them except for red are, are I think, main deckable for sure. But the, the blue one draws you cards. The black one has a raised dead effect. The white one makes two one ones. All of those, I think, are really strong, and I found that I've had in my four sealed pools, I think I've had at least one of those in in the six packs that I've opened. But th- those alone make me want to run 18 lands, because of just having a spell land that you can sink mana into later and is a land early anyway, uh, that makes me want to run 18. But again, like you said, there there's just enough, like kicker or mana sinks floating around that it feels like you have enough to do with your mana now uh, i think a skittering surveyor or a land of war elf or an elfheim druid may reduce the number of lands i want to play but i'm generally around around starting with 18 mana sources what about uh what about splashing splashing around can we do it it is so hard you have to have skittering surveyor so that's the three mana one two artifact creature that when it enters the battlefield you get to search your library for a basic land card and put it into your hand that card has been, I thought that card was going to be good going in, and it keeps going up and up and up for me. I think that's super important if you want to splash and sealed. If you don't have it, it feels like you almost can't unless you get some of the rare gold dual lands. Grow from the ashes if you're base green. That's two and a green for a sorcery that lets you search up a basic land and put it into play untapped. And if you kick it, uh, you get to get two and put them into play untapped. That's also strong uh, and helps enable a splash. But those two cards are pretty much where it's at as far as splashing. Okay, we have to talk about the elephant in the room navigator's compass that card is so bad people this card is very bad so there, there was a, a bit of a like twitter theory about this card like i think lsv had a post about it and there was a long comment thread but essentially oh, oh I, I do know also what happened is martin yuza tweeted like really think this format is fantastic wish there was like an evolving wilds in the set and i think aaron forsyth replied like learn to love navigator's compass oh my god no <laughs> But yeah, so we need to talk about why this card is bad, and I feel like we're going to have to continue to talk about this throughout the format. People are going to continue to like wonder why this doesn't do the thing that you think it does. So now this, this card, Navigator's Compass, is uh, a single mana for an artifact. When it comes into play, you gain three life, and you can tap it to turn a basic land you control, or maybe, maybe just a land uh, you control, into the basic land type of your choice, and then taps for that color in addition to the colors it could have already tapped for. So why isn't this the the mana fixing, the colorless mana fixing of our dreams? Because it doesn't draw you a card like Prophetic Prism does. This card is hot garbage. It doesn't replace itself. Three life is not close to worth a card. It just doesn't do enough. Your opponent is mulliganing when they play Navigator's Competence. And I say your opponent because I'm never putting this in my deck or my never. opponents rather. Yeah, like just, it's just not happening. You can put any number of basic lands in your deck and a basic land of your splash is way better than Navigator's Compass. I'm going to dare to say, so this card, I think you can think of it like a card like Unknown Shores, which is a mana that taps for a colorless mana or is a filter land for any color of mana. Except it's even worse than that because it can't tap to add colorless. That's <laughs> true, right? Well, I guess, yeah, it does need you need a card. So, but the thing, the, the comparison I'm trying to make is that Unknown Shores, I think, is not good in a three-color deck, right? It doesn't do the thing you want as a splash land. You're almost always just better off running a basic land of your splash color than you are Unknown Shores. Where it gets a little dicey is when you're maybe you're trying to play a four- or five-color deck, and then Unknown Shores does, like, double duty of being able to tap for two different splash colors as one source. I just don't 
think so first of all those decks are so few and far between but i do want to acknowledge that there is maybe a place for this if you are trying to do that i'm just not convinced that that's going to be even possible in this format with how little the fixing is and i think if you're going to be doing something like that skittering surveyor or grow from the ashes is your way to do that yep not navigator's compass don't do it it's a terrible what what's the name of that card unknown shores i don't even know the name of card that card because it's so bad and this is like twice as bad as that yeah, so I felt like I've, I've a lot of the things that I that I saw this weekend on on Twitter or maybe in Discord even were some people building some pretty scary mana bases. You were building a deck on stream that had a pretty scary mana base. I, was, I reined it in though. I reined you it did in. rein it in, but that like you just can't be like, all right, I'm going to run like nine swamps and four plains and three forests or whatever. Like you cannot build that kind of mana base, and I think. That at least this weekend, a lot of what I was seeing was was people getting a little greedy and hoping to be like splashing around and and you just got to rein it in and be a little bit more responsible, I think. I think so, too. This feels like I texted you. This feels like the modern cube of sealed formats. Like you're just supposed to play like two color rock solid, play some twos, play some threes, and then play your bombs at four, five and six and win with your bombs. Yeah. How have you been feeling about it in terms of like curve out board stall winning with evasion? How have your games played out? Uh, I've not experienced a ton of board stalls, but I've heard other people talking about that. My games mostly came down to either me or my opponent having unanswerable bombs or unanswerable evasion. Flying has been very good. Uh, the 3-4 flyer that lets you scry to in blue for four in a blue. Uh, that's been like sort of king of the flyers. Sarah Angel has been OP on the other side of the board against me. The three white white for the 4-4 four, four flying vigilance. So flying seems great and bombs seem great. Removal is very, very, very important. You need to have ways to answer your opponent's bombs and flyers. I've experienced a bit more board stalling stuff, but I think I just mean what I mean is it feels like people are curving out, like going like two drop, three drop or whatever. And then it kind of settles a little bit. And then, yeah, what I've experienced that, like winning with bombs, winning with evasion, winning through some sort of like maybe people are like stalling the board and going wide and then having an anthem effect of some sort to to blow out uh, a combat step or or something like that but yeah it has felt a little grindier as i think often sealed formats do how about colors in terms of playability it seems to me at least in sealed that it feels like almost every deck includes white or black and i think that has to do with the amount of great removal that they have that's flexible in terms of like eviscerate and what's it vicious no that's Offer, not vicious offering vicious one offering. Black. Like, yeah for not... minus two minus two and if you sack a creature it gets minus five minus five and eviscerate is three to black destroy target creature yeah and white has uh, gideon's reproach which is one in a white for an instant deal four damage to target attacking or blocking creature and blessed light which is four in a white for an instant to destroy target creature or enchantment so both black and white have single color requirement removal spells that are really strong at common and i think that leads your deck to want to play one of those colors just because you need removal in sealed you need removal in limited anyway but in sealed especially to deal with bombs and i think green offers ramp and fixing which is quite strong which leaves blue and red i think pretty far behind the other three colors yeah i've liked blue a fair bit because of the flyers academy drake and the sphinx what's the i ought to learn the name of it is it cloud reader sphinx or something like that yeah that sounds right four four and a blue for the three four flyer that scries to those have both been very good uh as like evasive threats for me so i've played blue in a couple of my sealed pools red has felt so shallow to me the only things that pull me into red are shivan fire the single red instant shock uh and then if you kick it for four you can do four damage 
fiery intervention the four and a red sorcery deal five damage to target creature or destroy target artifact that destroy target artifact part is surprisingly relevant icy manipulator is oppressive oh icy manipulator is great so so glad you're in the a range with me on that card now oh my god it's so good and then gitu chronicler has also been a house that's the one in a red for the one three and if you kick it for three in a red you get a return target instant or sorcery from your graveyard to your hand rebuying your removal is very strong but past those three cards like i just have no interest in red at the common level can we talk about fiery intervention for a second? Because I yeah. really don't like that card. Oh, why? So I think it's really clunky. I think it's almost always trading down on mana. It's sorcery speed, which I don't like. I get that there's a little flexibility with it being an artifact destruction spell as well. But I've just found that the five drop slot is, and the four drop slot as well, is very hotly contested, uh, at least in sealed. And I imagine it will also be in draft with, like, the Sphinx you said is a blue five drop. The white destroy creature spell, Blessed Light, is a five drop and way better than this, I think. Uh, I don't know. Oh, I agree. Like, sometimes you just got to kill something, though. I mean, I'm not, like, excited about fiery intervention but i mean it's a pull into red for me a little bit and sealed but i mean yeah i've not played red and sealed yet yeah no i mean neither have i actually uh i, I guess i've splashed it for uh the fight with fire which is an absurd card but uh, i just it, it doesn't feel like a pull to red to me i don't I, I don't really look at it as a good card i think it's still in like c range for me yeah but definitely blue blue and red seem like they've been shallow mm-hmm. white has seemed super deep and I, I think it complements all the other colors really well like white's got deep playables that are aggressive and that are controlling so if you get a lot of white generally no matter which direction your deck wants to go you're going to be able to pair white cards with them yeah for sure one of the other things that stuck out to me you know we were talking about the one threes being great blockers i'm not sure you're going to be able to rely on those two drop one three cards as blockers long term once people start catching on to short sword so that's the single mana equipment uh, that has an equip cost of one to give target creature plus one plus one i stared down a lot of short swords in sealed on mtgo uh, and when you play a 1-3 and plan on blocking with that and your opponent has a short sword, you're just never blocking with that 1-3. Hmm. It's just chump blocking. So Caligo Skin Witch, that's the one in a black 1-3 that you can mind rot if you kick it for three in a black. That sort of group of cards has felt pretty bad to me if I have to run them out on two, turn two against people that are have a plan to attack through those 1-3 blockers. And lots of my opponents did, it felt like. Interesting. See, I was down on Caligo Skin Witch in the set review and I'm I'm higher on it now, having played with and against it. But yeah, I, I did have not faced down a lot of short swords. I'm not I'm not quite swung on the short sword side of things. Do you have Do you have more to say about that card? Uh, I'm starting to get on the Ryan Sachs bandwagon. I think there's a place in this format for short sword. I don't think it's going to need to be a high pick necessarily, but in the I think blue white really wants to be an aggressively bented historic deck, and I think short sword is going to be really important there. I think it's going to be really important in the white-red historic bentedly aggressive deck. I think there's going to be a version of that. And I think there's also like a white-black aggressive historic deck where Short Sword is going to be a player. That and the Jousting Lance, uh, that's the two mana for the equipment with an equip cost of three that gives your creature plus two plus O. And when it's attacking, it gets first strike. That has also been a force in Sealed. Yeah, the the equipment uh, certainly at the the rare level, but also at the the common level has has felt a lot better than I thought, and that probably leads me to think that that main decking, enchantment, artifact removal in certainly in at least sealed is is probably correct. Yeah, yeah, I've I've felt very happy main decking one naturalized disenchant effect, whatever you want to call it. There there are a lot of good artifact and uncommon bombs. The rare equipment, mind control at uncommon is horribly oppressive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you just want to have answers to that kind of stuff. Have you had any thoughts on whether or not it feels like prince or popper format to you yet? Definitely feels 
princely to me. I don't think there are a ton of bomb rares. I think pound for pound, the rares are are like, they're fine. But there are just some of them that are huge spikes. And I think there's also a lot of spikes at, at Uncommon, like we talked about, like in Bolus's clutches, which is the mind control effect for uh, four blue blue, they can steal any permanent. Like stealing an Icy Manipulator is no joke. Uh, speaking of, Icy Manipulator is a really strong card at Uncommon that you're going to see all the time. On Sarah's Wings, which is the Squire's Devotion oh, variant, yes. is like... I mean, that's got to be the best white uncommon, right? I haven't gotten to play with that yet, but it has wrecked me. It, the card is... So, like, you just feel like things are going normally, and then someone plays that card, and it's backbreaking. So, yeah, I think that there are enough things at rare and uncommon that, like, really alter the state of a game when they enter the battlefield, or when they're cast, that uh, this feels very princely to me. What about you? I agree. I have felt I felt like the rares were a little more powerful than you, I think. I faced down some busted rares. I lost to a lot of busted rares. Just the equipment going in. I think the equip, the fact that the equipment is so good, like Helm of the Host and things like that. So Helm of the Host is four mana for an equipment, costs five to equip, and you put it on the creature. And every turn at the beginning of your combat, you get a copy of that creature with haste that sticks around. The problem is like you're just going to see those cards so often because they're all good. And every time they get opened, they get played because they're colorless. So I think that's going to get a little old in the sealed format after a while. But luckily... You and I are not going to be playing Seal that much. That's true. I think Helm of the Host is going to be probably still too slow for draft. That's my guess anyway. But I'll tell you what's not too slow. And it has, I have this card pegged as the like Tetsamok or Glorybringer of the set. And that is Forebear's Blade. Oh yeah, it's so good. So this is a rare for a three mana equipment with an equip cost of three. Equipped creature gets Vigilance and Trample. And when equipped creature dies, you get to reattach Forebear's Blade to a creature you control for free. So it, this card is miserable because when you like go to remove the creature, like your opponent attacks with a couple things, and you're like, cool, I got removal spell for the thing that they have the equipment on. Then they just get to move the equipment onto another creature they're attacking with. And if you don't get to do that, then they're, the thing they're attacking with that has a huge power boost is vigilant and gets to block anyway the card oh is my god i never even i never even ran in i played against it but i never ran into it where i killed it mid-combat it goes on mid-combat yeah that just That's goes you so go, you go, disgusting oh, like, oh i'll kill this thing and then they're just like all right i'll put it on my other attacking creature I conceded to it before I ever got to that situation <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was probably probably a good life choice what do you feel about drawing or playing first in sealed I think we'll, again in draft will probably be playing first most of the time yeah in sealed this has been a hot button topic a lot of people have asked me uh there have been a lot of strong opinions on both sides i think my answer is that i don't think there's a hard and fast answer i don't think there is a heuristic for this for the format i think you're gonna have to think critically which is refreshing like we haven't really had a draw format yet since we've been doing the podcast mm -hmm. and i think sometimes it is correct like probably 50 percent of the time maybe even it might be correct to draw but it's going to depend on your deck and your opponent's deck so you might have a, cap a deck that's capable of drawing first in the dark and i think that deck would have either a lot of low mana cost removal or a lot of good low mana creatures with a plan to go to the late game and then, you know, if you're not comfortable drawing first in the dark, once you're a Dirtle deck and you see that your opponent's also a Dirtle deck, it's probably going to be going to correct to draw for games two and three. Um, so I don't I don't think there's hard and fast rules. I think you're going to have to think about it on a case by case basis. But I think you should be aware that sometimes you probably should be drawing. Yeah, I wasn't that thoughtful about it. I just feel like I'm drawing more often than not and feeling good about it. But the, I haven't really had a like very assertive 
sealed deck that I've played yet, and I definitely imagine that if I did have one, I would want to be on the play. And then certainly I adjust that for game two if I have the choice, matchup dependent, as you said. But then like DC Sports posted a quote from MJ, Darkest Mage, in in Discord today that was something to the effect of, I don't want to misquote him, but something to the effect of people that are choosing to draw have not played games of Magic recently, obviously. Like, as in, he's saying it's never correct to draw. Like, you still want to play in sealed. He's like one of the best sealed players on Magic Online, period. So, I mean, there's strong opinions both sides. I think you should use your best judgment. I will say that, so for people who have ever watched uh, Semulin, uh, Travis Sauer's stream, or listened to this podcast, he has a very aggressive stance on not mulliganing in Limited. And this is the first time I have taken that to heart. I feel like I maybe have overcorrected in my magic life of like, well, I see this hand of like three spells and four lands, or maybe it's two spells and, and five lands, which is like a keep because you can cast your spells, but I like play out in my head. Well, what is this going to look like? What do I need to draw? I mean, we've talked about this on episodes of our show as well, like keeper mulligan decisions and how those you want to like craft what the what your hand is going to do to win you the game. But I've just been pretty aggressively keeping because I feel like mulliganing in this format is pretty punishing. Yeah, I've felt the same, especially on the play. Yeah, mulligan on the play feels real bad. It feels like playing blue red pirates in rivals of ixalan mulliganing on the play bad <laughs> yeah real just there's not a lot like yeah there are places to put mana there's not a lot of like places to recur value to like get back your two for ones you gotta you gotta work hard in this format to get those it feels like i agree so that's some general picture stuff do you want to move into the nitty-gritty cards by cards that have moved for us I so do. I so do. So the first card I want to talk about, I I debated having, like, asking you if we could have a section of the show, and maybe we'll do this uh, later, where it was like, Ben's right, Ben was right, Ethan was right, (laughs) where we get to, like, talk about the cards that the other person pegged well in the set review. And I think the first one that I want to give you hats off to is about Pegasus Courser. So this is uh, two and a white for the one three flyer that uh, when it attacks, it gives another target attacking creature flying until end of turn. So I have not had the, like, experience you have of one three is not feeling great i feel like one threes are pretty much king in terms of the like two ones two twos and one threes for two or maybe three so pegasus courser has not felt like an embarrassing blocker on turn three and it being able to launch a ground creature is a really big problem and then it feels kind of bad when you have to use a removal spell on their one three because then they're still left with the thing that you were also having trouble yeah that you really wanted to kill yeah exactly yeah so i I think this this card is is really strong it's still not in my top three white commons but i definitely think it's a a pull into white yeah on sira's wings card has been a house right we were high on the card and it's been disgusting every time you see it on the other side of the battlefield another one that i think you pegged triumph of gerard so this is where i want to talk about that like the sagas that we thought were good are better than we thought or than i thought so triumph of gerard is one and a white the first and second chapters are you put a plus one plus one counter on the creature a creature you control with the highest power and then when the third chapter pops off target creature you control with the greatest power gets like vigilance lifelink and trample until end of turn it's a a bunch of disgusting things lifelink being the most important first strike great do you know how i know that why because my opponent had triumph of gerard with femorif on the battlefield it's the three and a white two two that gives creatures with first strike double strike so i took like 14 lifelink in the air oh nice yeah bad beat stories (laughs) yeah but it's just very good and i think um doesn't like probably best in an aggressive deck best you know if you have minor historic synergies that's great too but it's also just it's just good 
That's funny because I've gone the other way on the card. I've come down a little bit on it. I think I'm only really wanting it in aggressive decks that care about historic. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I think I think that swing of flying lifelink damage is really good. Yeah, it takes a similar slot in your deck as combat tricks or equipment. And I think if it's better than those, you're probably running it. Yeah, I agree. Where are you at on Davenant Trapper? That card has gone up for me. I feel like I understand where that card belongs in the set now. So that's two and a white for the three two. Uh, and whenever you cast a historic spell, you get to tap down a creature. That and the blue two drop, the one in a blue for the two one that becomes unblockable when you cast a historic spell. I think there's like a really aggressively slanted blue white historic deck, and I am looking forward to drafting it. It was very good. I played like blue white tempo historic aggro in sealed in, in the pre release, the paper pre release I did. But I had a really weak pool, and that was kind of what I was forced into doing. And that card overperformed. And it was especially good with. The blue-white uncommon, the 3-3 three, three for two white-blue, and whenever you cast a, you can cast a historic spell as though it had flash. So being able to flash in artifacts or legendaries on my opponent's turn to tap down their stuff like before combat or things like that, it was just really tricky. Card overperformed. I've not seen this blue-white historic aggro deck. So where are you at in terms of the, the tension that I, I brought up in our last week's episode about like, well... You want these cards that care about historic triggers, but then you also want historic spells. Like, how do you feel like that that balances out, and, and what what cards do you feel like shine more in in each category? Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, I think you want the low drops that care about historic, and then you want the higher casting cost legendaries or artifacts, and like uh, Ether Glider, or however you say that, Ether Glider. There's like an S in there. Yeah, uh, three colorless for the two one flying artifact that can't block. Uh, that does double duty, like it's an aggressive drop that is historic. So I think artifacts are really key in the historic decks. Even like something like that that looks subpar really overperforms in the deck. And then you want your low drops to be this Diavenant Trapper and the blue card, Relic Runner. Uh, the two drop, this is one and a blue for the two one. Uh, and whenever you cast a historic spell, it becomes unblockable. I think you want Diavenant Trappers and you want Relic Runners as your low drops. And then you're filling out the rest of your stuff with historic things. Like you want as many of those two cards as you can get and then jam all the historic legendaries and artifacts. That seems good. I want to talk about a couple white removal spells. The first one being Gideon's Reproach, which we mentioned earlier. That's one in a white instant deal for damage to target attacking or blocking creature. This is my number one white common currently. Yeah, it's been great. I also think I would put it up to the number one white common. Maybe not in an aggressive deck, but so good, especially in sealed and in a controlling deck, because the two drops are all pretty mediocre. Yeah. And so I think this is going to be a premium two drop. Mm -hmm. uh, the other one that I want to talk about, which didn't make your top two uncommons last week, is Seal Away. So this is one in a white for an enchantment with flash. And when an ETBs, you exile target tapped creature and opponent controls until Seal Away leaves the battlefield. Yeah, I had the experience of having that in one of my sealed pools, and I played it in an aggressive, this blue-white tempo deck, and it was consistently, like, not great there because I always wanted to be attacking, and it doesn't clear out blockers, so I think it's really only going to be outstanding in a control deck, and I think in control it is going to be fantastic. I think it's also good when you're racing, too. Like, yeah, it can't clear out blockers, but I don't know. I think it's tough for me to imagine Gideon's Reproach being great and this not being great. Well, Gideon's Reproach can clear out a blocker early in the game. Like if your opponent plays a 2-3 and it blanks all your cards, Seal Away can't do anything about that. I think it does what it does insanely well, but it only does certain things, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. We were uh, doing some team sealed testing today and Stunlock, Matt, our third teammate, he had, we one of our decks that he was piloting was a, a mostly white deck. And he was like, all of my removal is conditional. Like I can't, he was saying the exact same thing you did. He had two Gideon's reproaches and I think 
one or two sealaways and one blessed light. And he just felt like his removal was kind of clunky because he couldn't do the thing that you were just describing. So that makes a lot of sense to me. I'm still very high on the card, though I did play around it like a beast uh, <laughs> this this weekend uh, when, when Matt and I were both streaming on Saturday. And we, we piloted the sealed deck. I can't believe I haven't talked about this yet. I 5-0-10-0'd a competitive sealed league. I saw that on Twitter. That's awesome. The beastliest thing I've ever done. But one of the things was we played against an opponent who just like held up seal away. And I was like, what would Ben do? <laughs> yes. We just, we just managed to <laughs> strand it in their hand the whole game. It was great. Yes. All right. Let's talk about a blue removal spell that I am not crazy about, which is deep freeze. So this is uh, two and a blue for an aura enchant creature. Enchanted creature has base power and toughness. Oh, four has Defender, loses all other abilities, and is a blue wall in addition to its other colors and types. I thought this was like probably going to be just fine, and especially in a, a color that has evasion and maybe paired with, with white. It's just like keeps a creature grounded, removes its abilities while you're attacking through in the air. Um, I've, I've had very little experience with it, but the card has felt not great to me. Not unplayable, but the fact that they keep a blocker, I don't think you're going to get like a, a glut of evasive threats, so they still really get to hose one of your attacking creatures, and there's bounce, and maybe people are main decking in chamber removal. I don't know. I'm not crazy about this. It feels okay to me. It feels fine to me to play in certain types of decks, decks with a lot of flyers, or if you're light on removal and you just need answers to bombs, like I think that's certainly the case sometimes in sealed. I think it does what it looks like it does for me still. I played with it once and I was fine with it. I sort of knew what the drawbacks were going in and it felt like it did what I thought it was going to do. That's fair. Have you gotten a chance to play with Tetsuko Umazawa Fugitive? I do, and I agree with exactly what you think about it. It's been very good. The 1-3 body is relevant, it blocks, and then it turns all your derpy little tokens into real threats, it turns Skittering Surveyor into a threat. It feels like a must-answer card. It's good. I've won many games because of Tetsuko, because I've just like gotten in 9 damage with her and a couple other creatures that wouldn't have been able to attack. It's like really obnoxious. It's a really obnoxious card. I think it's really good and might be in the B ter- like B- territory for me. Yeah, so that's the one and a blue one three, and it makes anything with power one or toughness one unable to be blocked. Has done serious work. Really strong card. I want to talk about another one three here, Voldalian Arcanus. So this is one and a three for a merfolk wizard that can tap to add a colorless mana to your mana pool, but you can only use that mana to cast instants or sorceries. Just like another two mana one three that I think is good. And the ramp this offers, I think is strong because all the colors have good spells at common that you want to cast quicker. So being able to like play this on two and then cast a call the cavalry to make two, two, two vigilant knights, uh, lets you get your clunky five drop removal spells out early, uh, lets you get a divination out for cheap. Like there's just a lot of stuff that it does while being like a fine two drop that blocks well. Yeah, jury's still out for me on that card. I haven't had an opportunity to play yet. My spell count hasn't been high enough to where I really thought it pulled its weight. Hmm. Blink of an Eye has been very, very good for me. This is uh, one and a blue for the instant bounce target permanent. And if you kick it for one and a blue, you get to draw a card, which was sort of weird for me because Crashing Tide kept going down and down and down for me in Rivals of Ixalan. But I think the difference is here that people are investing more mana in their cards with Kicker and things like that. Uh, so it feels like this card really pulls its weight. Bouncing something that's got in Bolus's clutches on it is super real. The card's just done a lot of work. I was very happy with two copies in my sealed deck. I like that. And where are you at on your uh, your boy or girl, your best blue common, Syncopate? 
Uh, I'm not as confident as I was, uh, and I was rapidly losing confidence as I saw other people's top common rankings that didn't have it. I do think it's still good. I doubt it's going to end up as my number one common. I still need to play with it more to figure out where it's going to fall. All right. I want to move on to black and talk about a card that I came in really hot on, and I'm still high on it, but maybe a little less so, which is cast down. This is one and a black for an instant. Destroys target non-legendary creature. So I haven't actually had a chance to play with this card yet, but Matt had an experience with it in a deck, and he said that nearly every match he had it, it did not kill the thing he wanted to kill. It's a small sample size, but I think it's worth noting that maybe the legendary things are going to be more often the problems than we think, and this this you may need to fire off on a less than desirable threat on your opponent's side, because it just can't kill the thing you want. Can we put another point in the Ben category there, then? Oh, dang. That's fine. Yes. That's fine. We're going to get... When we get to green, we're going to get... <laughs> we're going to get the Ethan points up. <laughs> Next up, we've got the Eldest Reborn. What do you think about that? This card is good. These these sagas are good. Now, you don't get another point about every saga. Um, <laughs> but So the Eldest Reborn is four and a black. The first chapter is target player or maybe it's just each opponent, sacrifices a creature. The second chapter, they discard a card. And the third chapter, you get to return a creature or planeswalker from any graveyard to the battlefield under your control. And those are like three, maybe not great effects, but tacked together. And the way they snowball together really makes a very powerful card. Um, I think this is like a solid B and pulls me into black. And it's easy to splash, even though splashing is not easy in this format, but it's easy to cast because it's four in a black. This card has just been a house, I think. Yeah, I absolutely agree. The Eldest Reborn has been very good for my opponents. It's backbreaking when they cast it. Like I had to discard a land that I needed because all my creatures were good and I didn't want to discard a good creature. Like they ramped it out on turn four with Atlanta War Elves or something and it was disgustingly good. Yeah, it's so good. I really want to get your take on this next card, Fungal Infection. This is a single black target creature gets minus one, minus one until end of turn and you make a one, one sapling. That card is so good. As soon as I, I didn't put together right away at the beginning that it could trade with two two bears yeah. like on defense mm-hmm. and once i don't know if it was you maybe it was you that pointed it out to me i think it was in chat when i was like deck building once i knew that it was like oh my god this card's outstanding because all of the black two drops i'm not excited about now so like fungal infection is what i want as my two drop because if you played on turn two and it trades great if not it's like super relevant late in the game as a combat trick it's very 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 good this is third best black common right at this rate what is it voracious something or vicious vicious offering and then fungal infection like three fantastic removal spells at common for black i'm not quite there yet i have it as number four i still think uh the the sapperling the dead sapperling guy the two and a black that's the three two salad yes the death bloom salad thank you uh that dies and makes a one one sapperling is better because i think there's no good three drops anywhere uh in (laughs) any of the colors hardly and that one is very good like just really only black and green have good three drops i think Mm -hmm. Uh, so i've still got that as number three but fungal infection is very very good yeah yeah that makes sense um we we talked about caligo skin witch already yeah Yep. Underperformed. I'm not thrilled about it. You're still fine on it. It's actually yeah. come up for you. Chainer's Torment. Matt was asking me about this one, Stunlock. Uh, this is three and a black for an enchantment. It's a saga, and both of the first two chapters, you drain two on your opponent, and then the third chapter is you lose half your life round up, and you make an XX equal to half your life. This has been playable. I played it in one of my sealed decks in black-white. It was very good with Pegasus Courser being able to jump the horror token into the air. It just did work. Like, it felt like the draining was relevant when I was proactive. When I was behind, I wasn't losing that much life, and I was happy to get a blocker. Just felt like the card did enough. 
to be worth playing. I don't think it's outstanding or anything, but I think it's like a C, C plus uh, in black, and I would cite it out aggressively against blue decks. Interesting. Yeah. Well, that makes me feel like I shouldn't write it off because I, I basically had before hearing you talk about it. Our biggest takeaway for red, like we talked about Gitu Chronicler, that's the one in a red, one, three, that when you kick it for three in a red, you can rebuy an instant or sorcery from your graveyard. Like, that's a really strong card that I think has made its way into the number three slot at red, for co- the commons at least. But the red is just bad, right? It's so bad. It's miserable. Why is it so bad? I don't know, because I think because you can't be aggressive with it very well, and then like the rest of the cards like all the other cards are like bad combat tricks and things like that that you don't want to play then we made i made a list of cards like for team team sealed in tiers and i had two cards in my top tier i think we're probably going to move like get to chronicler up into the top tier as well mm-hmm. but then like the middle tier was like i don't know six or seven cards and the bottom tier was like 10 cards they're just so many bad red cards yeah red is red is rough which I think moves us just right along to green, where I want to talk about Grun the Lonely King. That card is really big. (laughs) It is really big. I feel the same way I did before about Grun. No, this card is a, like, this card's a must-answer threat, or your opponent just enters the abyss. And, like, yeah, sometimes they're going to have sapperlings, but this card is really tough to deal with, I think. So I would I could get on board with that if you're ramping it out, but I think if this comes down on turn six, I don't think it's going to be a problem to deal with. In what scenario are you playing Grun and you don't have any ramp in your deck? I don't know. I haven't I haven't been on the receiving end of a turn five Grun yet. So maybe my tune will change once that happens. But for now, I am not picking that card highly. Yeah, I, this card's going to move into B range for you. I, I feel strongly about that. I look forward to putting a point in the Ethan category. Oh, we'll be get we'll be getting many points for. A I card. really this is a great. I really <laughs> we should keep score. I want to <laughs> do this now. I'm so competitive. <laughs> Put another point in the Ben category. Song of Freylice, I think, is good. So this is one in a green for the saga. The first two chapters are until your next turn, creatures you control can tap to add any uh, a mana of any color to your mana pool. Or I guess we don't say mana pool anymore. They just tapped out a mana of any color. I'm going to be saying mana pool for the rest of my life. Where that mana is added to, we'll never know. But it is added. And then the third chapter, when the saga uh, pops off, you creatures you control get a uh, plus one plus one counter on them, and they gain vigilance, trample, and indestructible until end of turn. I've had this card in multiple scenarios, like where it's been like just fine. Maybe it like helps me cast one thing, and then I got a couple counters on my creatures to where it's like I've had a bunch of saplings in play, and it's enabled like this really massive attack for me. Um, and I think it doesn't take a lot for this card to pull its weight. And it doesn't take a lot more than that for the card to feel like it's doing a lot more than pulling its weight. Yeah, I'm excited about it. I put a little heart next to our show notes when I saw that he typed this. I think Ancient Animus, the green fight spell that cares about legendary creatures for it to get a counter, is better than like Pounce was in Ixalan. I could certainly be on board with that, just because the creatures in general are bigger in green here. Yeah, green gets like, uh, like there are big creatures elsewhere. I mean, some in red, but red is bad. But like green having Baloth Gorger and the 7-6 for 6 mana, like you just, the 3-5 spider for 5, your stuff is often bigger than your opponent's where you don't need that bonus of your creature to be legendary for the counter to matter. And so it's just, I think, really well suited and might even creep up into the top three green commons for me. 
that's going to be tough for me because I think all Lana War Elves and those other three Sapperling cards, or the two Sapperling cards in Bayloth Gorger are going to stay ahead of it. Unless Sapperlings just turns out to be way worse than I think, and I don't think that's going to be the case. No, it's I think not. it's going to be hard to take a removal spell over a, a Sapperling producer in green. Well, you mentioned a card that I'd like to talk about very much because I yeah. feel like it's my point, my big point I'm going to get this week. Yeah, Lana War Elves. Lana War Elves. Uh, so last week for me, I was de- I had it as number one green common. And I was debating, because Semulin and I, when we did our set review, he had Baloth Gorger. That's the two green, green, four, four that you can pay for to kick it, and it's a seven, seven. We were debating which one of those was the best green common. And I had Llanowar Elves first, and he had Gorger first, and Llanowar Elves second. And I was like, well, I'm not sure like what it's going to be, like how it's going to shake out. And after just playing a little bit, I know that Llanowar Elves is staying in that number one slot because... The four drop slot gets clogged, at least in sealed, and I think there's going to be good expensive stuff to do at common at four and five and maybe even six mana, but there is not always going to be that one mana sweet, sweet Llanowar Elves that helps you ramp. I think this card is even better than I thought it was. Okay, so let me ask you, I have a couple questions for you. I just want to play devil's advocate here. You lay it on me. How do you feel about Llanowar Elves if you're not heavy base green? Like if you maybe only want to run seven or eight forests, are you still excited about it there? I feel less good, but that uh, I feel like that also means that I have less... That probably means I have fewer kicker synergies and fewer maybe places to dump mana, because that's one of the reasons, like, Llanowar Elves is so good in green for the things you get to do, like Baloth Gorger. So, yeah, like, maybe I'm less excited about it when I can't reliably cast it on turn one. So I have a theory about Llanowar Elves. My theory is that Llanowar Elves... I was thinking about this because I knew we were going to have this conversation... I think Llanowar Elves might secretly be a red-green gold card and a red-blue gold card, and you're not going to play it that often in black-green or green-white. Because I think both of those decks care about the Sapperling cards, black-green and black-white, way more, and I think blue-green and red-green really take advantage of the ramp that Llanowar Elves offers. Uh, Yeah, you might be right. I am not convinced that it is like a conditional situational card. I think it's just very powerful in this format. Awesome. We'll have to see. Has it not cracked your top three green commons? Uh, I I don't know. It depends on what decks I want to draft when I'm green. But I, I do feel pretty strongly right now that I don't want it in black, green, and green, white. That I just want that cards that go wide in those two color me. pairs. I just said that. Like, that is so... <laughs> no, but that like also makes me nervous because that we have such a big difference on a card for Team Sealed. Well, that's great. You'll get to play all the Llanowar Elves in your deck then, right? But won't you think that deck is bad then? <laughs> No, I I think Llanowar Elves is a super powerful card. I just don't know that it's going to go in every deck. And if I, I would want the number one green common to be good in every deck. So what do you, th- you still have it as the sap herd? Uh, yeah, I think so. I, there's no good three drops in this format. Uh, I don't know, man. Like, I just don't see how like a three mana two, two that makes a one, one is good in every deck. Whereas a one mana one, one that ramps you into all the good stuff that you can get is, is, is not good in every deck. Because I think Llanowar Elves is only outstanding on turn one and is probably like good on turn two and after turn two gets like pretty unexciting. Can't you make that same argument for like, can't you change those numbers for a three mana two two that makes a one one? Not in a deck that cares about going wide. So then it's great in green, white and green, green black. Green, black. Not yeah, I guess green, I'm blue just and green, red. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess I'm just like more excited to draft those decks. I don't know. I'm not sold on it being the number one green common yet. Uh, that's you're playing a dangerous game and i'm I'm probably wrong like look most of the magic world agrees with you you don't need my vote of approval i just thought we were gonna get to land worlds and i was gonna get like the you're right i'm wrong 
but oh. we didn't get there. So I just, I just like spent the whole episode saying, "Oh, you were right about this. You were right about this." And you're like, "Yeah, I still think a three man a tutu that makes a one one is great." Uh, uh, I don't know. That's how I feel, man. I can't change yeah. how I feel. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I don't. I don't want you to. Uh, let's talk about some colorless cards. I want to talk about Pardic Wanderer in sealed. So this is a six mana five five with trample that's colorless, and I think should be making people's decks in sealed more than I've seen it. I agree. Card's good. Yeah, I just think, like, yeah, you just want, like, sometimes you don't get bombs or you don't get enough of them, and this is a fine bomby card. It's basically Colossal Dreadmaw, right? Uh, not quite Colossal Dreadmaw, but, like, especially if you've got Historic Synergies or something, like, it's fine. Could be used in case of Finisher being needed. All right, I wanted to talk about a few rares, so we don't talk about rares or mythics uh when we do the set review or the crash course rather because we haven't gotten a chance to play with them and it's tough to like do shot in the darks about cards but i did want to talk about a few that i've seen and one is shalai voice of plenty so this is a three and a white for a three four with flying and other creatures you control and you have hex proof while shalai is in play and it also if that wasn't enough it has an activated ability of four green green to put a plus one plus one counter on each creature you control this card is backbreaking. I don't know if you've had a chance to play with or against it. Oh, I've played against it and I've lost spectacularly to it. It being in white green is obviously the best because then you get the, the the anthem counter effect. But the hexproof thing blanks so many things that you don't think it blanks. Like a fight with fire kicked can't target a player, right? Or there are just like so many things that like target players that you can't do. Like makes removal tough, especially things like Gideon's Reproach or Seal Away. Like, if you're not attacking with your Shalai, your white opponent is having a hard time dealing with your creatures in combat. It's just such a backbreaking card. And at rare, it's going to come up a lot. Yep, has been great. Another one that I wanted to talk about was the Mending of Dominaria. So this is another Saga. These Saga cards were tough to evaluate for me and been very interesting to see them in play. So this is three green green. The first and second chapter have you mill two cards of your library, and then you can return a creature card from your graveyard to your hand. And then the third chapter has you return all land cards from your graveyard to the battlefield, and then you shuffle the rest of your graveyard into your library. And I think if you can, this card seems very powerful to me, if you have a stable or somewhat stable board when you cast this. I have had experiences where this card single-handedly, like, runs away with the game, and I've had experiences where I felt so bad because I can't cast it because I'm behind on board. But this card, I think, is very powerful and is worth playing slash building around. So similar to, like, a draw three, draw four? Yeah, but and then also it it gives you, like, the lands it gives you is not irrelevant because then it also, like, lets you cast the other stuff. So, yeah, draw, draw four seems about right. Right. It's like it's, draw four and ramp. Mm-hmm. It's very strong. I like the card a lot. One of the rares that stuck out to me was Frexian Scriptures. This is the two black black mythic saga that the first turn it comes down, you get to turn one of your creatures into an artifact. The second chapter destroys all non artifact creatures. And then the third chapter, you exile your opponent's graveyard. Uh, my opponent played that against me, and it was not as backbreaking as I expected it to be. The turn I got to prepare, like knowing I was going to get Wrath, was pretty huge. So I was able to kill one of their artifact creatures to minimize the damage on my turn. I was also able to play a non-creature card, an equipment of some variety. I don't remember what. And I just, like, I knew a Wrath was coming. Like, I was able to wrap my brain around it. And I, I didn't end up losing. So it was it was good. Like, it was obviously bad for me, but I was able to mitigate the damage. So I think the card's still very strong, but maybe not the insane bomb that I thought it was. Yeah, uh, that seems fair. Uh, I've only played with it, not against it, and I was pretty happy with it. But I see what you're saying, for sure. Any thoughts about Team Sealed versus Regular Sealed? I know you did a little little prep on your uh, on your floor this afternoon. 
yeah, it was awesome. I like got all my magic cards out. I didn't have any table space cleared away. And rather than clearing table space, I just plopped my butt down on the floor like I used to when I was a kid, had my cards, and I started deck building. It was really fun. So yeah, I built team sealed pools. It was difficult, way harder than any that I did, uh, like that were Ixalan rivals of Ixalan in prep for those GPs. Those just sort of built themselves, it felt like, because there was tribal synergies that you really needed to maximize. So it was really hard to decide where you were going to go with your synergies because there's such a variety and they're not like overpowered, but they are there and you want to take advantage of them. So you're having to decide like which synergies you want to put in which deck and like, is that good enough? And trying to find a control deck and an aggro deck. So when I built the three decks, I ended up with a black green go wide sapperlings deck, a blue white tempo historic aggro deck and a blue red green splashing. So base blue red splashing green control deck. Uh, with a lot of legends that uh, headlined features Jaya's Immolating Inferno. That's the two red red X legendary sorcery uh, that deals X damage to up to three targets, I think, Mm -hmm. any creatures or players. So I felt like I had to play that card, but that was like really constricting for building because I had to put most of my legendary cards in one deck. Um, So it was really interesting figuring out that puzzle. So I'm wondering, and I'm curious to see what your experiences was, is it possible to frame pools in terms of like, you want some sort of an aggro tempo deck that probably involves historic some sort of a control deck and some sort of a go wide deck like is that going to be possible to have as a generic formula like what what did you guys have when you tested team sealed tonight uh yeah i think that could be possible ours was more like trying to maximize the colors because it felt like we had sort of a ballooned effect of what we experienced in regular sealed of like a few colors were pretty deep and a few colors were quite shallow. And so trying to maximize like how you split up pools, like both of the pools that we looked at had like really deep white and pretty shallow blue. So it was hard to figure out like what to do with, with splitting that up. It does seem like across the board, at least from the testing that we did and the other teams we worked with and the pools they looked at that green black feels like a pretty strong go-to deck and then figuring out what to do with the rest seems good and i wonder if maximizing historic value as like the other you know it's hard to like maximize kicker as like one of the keywords but maximizing historic with those little synergies you were talking about before with the davenant trapper and the the two one that can become unblockable in blue that that may be one of the the like little hidden gems of this this team sealed format of or of this format in general of just figuring out like how to maximize those little incremental advantages in one deck and then i don't know is is blue red wizards gonna be a thing how does that deck i I think also figuring out what blue red looks like is gonna be important like is it an aggro wizards deck is it a spells mid-range control deck like is it able to splash i'm not sure and i think a lot of people are sort of out on what blue red is gonna look like in team sealed and in limited in general i think in draft it's certainly gonna want to be wizards right in team sealed i think it could be could be wizards if you open up the cards but i think if not, I think control is probably going to be the go-to because I think all the best red cards, like red feels super, it feels like red almost has to be a control deck to me because, because it red's, have red's so shallow. Yeah, yeah, red's so shallow. And then the best red cards are removal spells and a creature that buys back your removal spells very clunkily. I will say that I did see someone with a blue red deck that on turn four, 15 to their opponent. Whoa. Yeah, so there is That's an gross. explosive blue-red deck there that can exist, but I fear that it has the same problem that we felt like blue-red and black-red pirates did in Rivals. Like, how often does that nut draw dealing 15 on turn 4 happen? Yeah, might be tough to get it to come together. So, be interested to see what more we figure out this week heading into GP Columbus. Make sure you tune in and root for us. Oh, there's not going to be any coverage, is there? No, we're getting Rip. so well, brutalized. Stay, stay glued to Twitter. Yeah. We'll be giving you tweets 
The tweets are going to be great. 0102122233. And then... Uh, incoming karaoke. Incoming karaoke stream. All right, so let's move into a roundtable to finish things up here. Uh, are you ready to take a seat? Yes. Yes, please. Yeah, we're going to do a couple picks deep here since the format's new. We don't want to overwhelm you guys, uh, and we're still trying to figure things out as well. Obviously, like we need to draft before we have like really strong opinions, I think. So moving into pack one, pick one, we are going to shortcut the pack and not read you every card, though. So following cards are options. Kvende Pride Ephemera. This is three and a white for a 2-2 legendary creature, Human Knight, with double strike. And creatures you control with first strike have double strike. Memorial to Glory, the uncommon memorial that's white. So enters the battlefield tapped, can tap for white. Three and a white, tap, sacrifice it, create two one one white soldier creature tokens. Yavamaya Sapherd, two and a green for a 2-2 fungus. When it enters the battlefield, create a 1-1 green sapperling creature token. Pegasus Courser, two and a white for the 1-3 flying Pegasus. When it attacks, it jumps another creature into the air along with it. Call the Cavalry, three and a white for the sorcery, create two 2-2 white knight creature tokens with Vigilance. Academy Drake, two and a blue for the 2-2 flyer with kicker four. If it was kicked, it enters the battlefield with two plus one plus one counters on it. And Cloud Reader Sphinx, four and a blue for a 3-4 flyer. When it enters the battlefield, scry two. So a lot of powerful commons here and a couple good uncommons. I think I would pretty quickly narrow it down to Yavamaya Sapper is the best green card. Cloud Reader Sphinx is the best blue card. And there's a lot of good white cards in this pack, and my instinct right now is to take the Memorial to Glory as the best white card out of the pack, because it's basically a free spell, so that's the land that lets you make two one ones. But I'm not sure if that's right, um, but I've liked the Memorials quite a bit, and I imagine as this is a modern limited set that being short on playables is not going to happen, so having a land as a spell is pretty strong. But I could see Call to the Cavalry being better. I could even see maybe Pegasus Courser being better. But I think I'm going to land on Memorial to Glory here. Interesting. I would narrow it down quickly, I think, to those same three cards. I think I'm going to land on Sap Herd just because I'm so excited. I'm so hyped about green, black, go wide and green, white, go wide. Mm. I think those are going to be really strong decks, especially at the start. If people aren't prepared for how to deal with them, that I really want to try those decks out. Uh, so I'm going to, I'm going to stick to my top green common here and, and slam you off of my Sap Herd. Yeah, I think that's totally defensible. And that's, that's, I think my second pick out of the pack. Moving on to pack one, pick two, you see the following options. So a Flame Fist Adept, I said, was a Fire Fist Adept, rather, was the card that was taken first out of this pack. That's the four and a red Human Wizard. 3-3 three, three, when it enters the battlefield, it deals X damage to target creature and opponent controls, where X is the number of wizards you control. I think that's going to be a super strong wizard build around and a very high pick. Uh, so somebody took that first. You see the following cards left as options. Uh, Shivan Fire, the red instant shock with kicker four, and if you kick it, it does four damage instead. Academy Journey Mage, four and a blue for the 3-2 human wizard. It costs one less to cast if you control a wizard, and when it enters the battlefield, you return target creature and opponent controls to their hand. And Garner the Blood Flame, this is the three black red, the black red gold uncommon. It's three three flash human warrior. When Garner the Blood Flame enters the battlefield, return to your hand all creature cards in your graveyard that were put there from anywhere this turn. Other creatures you control have haste. So I'm not quite ready to write off red the way we did for a little bit in uh, Rivals of Ixalan. So I think I'm just going to grab Shivan Fire here as a really strong removal spell um, and move on. I am almost at that point looking at red that like I really do not want to be red at this point. Mm -hmm. That said, like I think it is enough better than Academy Journey Mage that I yeah. would take it here, but I'm not I'm not happy about it. So I am I'm Joining you on Shivan Fire over the Academy Journey Mage, but it is close for me. What do you think about Garna? 
I think Garna is powerful. It's hard for me to figure out, like, so it looks like Black Red wants to be, like, controlled. You know, Watsy released a, like, little thing on Twitter about what they thought each color pair was doing, and they said Black Red was, like, sacrifice control or whatever, or sacrifice recursion, maybe. So I think it's it's a powerful card. I have not seen it played yet, um, and I wonder if there, if, if you have to, like, build around it a little bit. I, I'm excited about it. I, I don't know. Have you seen it in play? No, I'm I'm not particularly excited about it. It doesn't, it seems like a little bit of an underwhelming ability to me, the first part anyway. The other creatures you control have haste is very real, but that lends itself to an aggressive deck. I don't know, it just seems like there's a lot going on there that's not necessarily super impactful. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, tough to know and maybe tough to know, and especially in terms of sealed where you don't really get to, to make it work. I, I will, I want to just add that Academy Journey Mage, I think, is maybe worse than I thought because there's just not a ton of wizards. So for it to be to cost four, which is really when it's at its best is in blue-red, and I think otherwise it suffers from a, a problem that I think a lot of cards are going to suffer from, which is that it costs five. And there's going to be a lot of competition for those expensive spells at common, because there's a lot of good expensive spells, but you just can't stock up on them. I agree. Oh man, is it time to draft yet? Oh god, I want to draft so hard. <laughs> Tomorrow, less than 24 hours. By the time this episode's out, you will all be drafting. <laughs> Absolutely. Next week... GP Columbus, it's it's here, guys. Ben and I are gonna meet for the first time. It's gonna be exciting. It's a beautiful love story that's coming to fruition here. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we will be competing at Grand Prix Columbus next week. Please check Twitter for some updates, and we will have a little tournament report slash first week of the format report for you all with our teammate Stunlock FTW. Excited to have him on the show, and excited to talk about the tournament, and excited to talk about drafting this format finally. Yeah. Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give that a listen. Also, the Dominaria treasure hunt is incoming. We've already had uh, one or two emails with ideas. So if you've got any ideas out there, if you've got your sweet Yargle achievement that you want to get into us, there's going to be one Yargle achievement and we need the best possible Yargle <laughs> achievement. So get thinking, everybody. I was watching uh, Magic the Amateuring stream and Sam Illenfelt was uh, hanging out with them. And he was like, here's what you do. You cast Vicious Offering to give Yargle minus two, minus two. And then you have Tetsuko in play and you can attack with Yargle as a seven one. Unblockable. Ooh. I like it. I was like, okay, okay, that's not bad, not bad. So yeah, if you've got feedback for us about the show, if you want to get in touch with us, Ben and I are streaming on Twitch, twitch.tv slash lordtupperware for me, twitch.tv slash Metronome for Ben. We're under those same usernames on Twitter, and you can also get at the podcast at Lords of Limited. Yeah, if you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Don't forget to email us those treasure hunt suggestions. Thank you all so much for hanging out, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later.